Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Section K Podcast. Today's Tuesday, December the 10th. On today's episode, we have Mr. Jeremy Barwick, the owner of Western Bloodstock, on the podcast. We sit down with Jeremy, talk a little bit about the sale graduates that made the Open Semifinals at the NCHA Futurity. And also, don't forget, the NCHA Western Bloodstock sales are going on all week at the Will Rogers Memorial Center. The first two days are going to be primarily two-year-old sales, and then they're going to go into the Tuesday evening session, and then followed by Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all yearling, broodmare, and stallions, and then come back on Saturday for the season cutting horse sale. So be sure and come out to Will Rogers all week and check out the awesome horses that are being consigned in this year's Western Bloodstock sale. This episode of the Section K podcast is proudly brought to you by Dennis Moreland Tack. Tack handcrafted by Cowboys for Cowboys for 43 years and counting. Since 1976, Dennis has built high-quality tack for training, working, and showing. Get the best. Get your tack at Dennis Moreland Tack. Be sure to visit www.dmtack.com and be sure to come by Dennis's booth here at the Exhibit Hall at the 2019 NCHA World Championship Futurity. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Section K podcast. Myself, Caden Rutherford, Cody Hedlund, and Colburn Blue Larson are joined here at the 2019 NCHA World Championship Futurity um, with a man that you see around at a lot of the Triple Crown events, um, around at a lot of the NCHA events and the NRCHA events in general. Um, he's a proud sponsor of the Section K podcast, first and foremost. Um, he's a multiple uh, open world champion. Um, Gone on to do unbelievable things, selling horses and promoting uh, the great sport of cutting. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jeremy Barwick. Jeremy, welcome to the Section K What's podcast. What's up, Jeremy? Thank you. Glad to be here. <laughs> Thanks so much for taking the time. We thought we would uh, get you over to the exhibit hall, talk a little bit about the sales coming up, and maybe pick your brain about some of the open semifinalist uh, horses that are in the field for this year's uh, NCHA Open Futurity, a couple of sale graduates that brought a, a little bit of money over there across the street last year in that two-year-old sale. I've gone on to do some pretty good things in the first two rounds at the Open Futurity. So we thought we'd uh, bring you over and pick your brain a little bit about that as well. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Jeremy is the CEO and the owner of Western Bloodstock and Brazos Valley Stallion Station. Um, first and foremost, Jeremy, how did you get involved with performance horses as a whole? Uh, my grandparents, we had horses growing up, so, you know, since we were kids, we rode, me and my brothers, and, and basically that was it. My grandfather, he, he trained cutting horses off and on, and and so we got to ride a lot as kids there in Georgia. What made you want to become a cutting horse trainer? You know, I don't, I don't know that I ever, I don't think that was my goal originally. Um, I probably wanted to be more of a non-pro, kind of like Cody and train my own, but financially could not make that work especially living in georgia it's you don't have access to the really good horses there and so i i got a job working for lady Teresa watson and she was she was i guess my first job and, and had some nice horses not even great horses but some nice horses and supported me a lot and, and gave me a good start there in georgia and we had some success and worked for her for five or six years and then ended up moved just kind of out of the blue, I'm like, I'm just going to move to Texas and give it a shot. And so I did that when I was 25. And I actually, I was good friends with Glenn Blankenship that was working for Lonnie Austin at the time. And so I was actually, I was judging a show and 
Gonzales, Louisiana. And after the show, Glenn was there, and I talked to him about it, and he said, yeah, come on and just come to my place. And I brought like 12 or 13 horses with me, the customers I had. And so I moved there and worked there for a year, I guess. Yeah, about a year riding horses and then ended up marrying Candy and we bought a place and built a place there in, in Stephenville. I, I like the Stephenville area. We looked around Weatherford a lot, but I kind of like the smaller towns a little better. So we ended up buying a place there and, and building a place there. So after you moved to Stephenville, your name obviously synonymous with hauling, synonymous with world championships, both you and Candy both um, went, won open world titles, non-pro world titles. Um, talk about Dual Ray Me and just kind of what that horse meant to both you and your wife and kind of what he was like to, to go haul down the road and show. Well, when we bought him, we actually at that time, we were, we were still there at Glenn's, open, the place we were at, Glenn had sold it at that time. But we were leasing it, so it was just right across the street from Kobe, and became really good friends with Kobe and Paula once we moved out here. And I mean, I'd go up there and work all the time with them, and just great, great people. And we were looking for a horse for Candy to show, actually. And we went to try a couple horses, and Kobe showed us that horse. And he was younger than we wanted at the time because we were wanting to go show a lot on the weekends. He was just a four-year-old. It was the fall of his four-year-old year, I guess. And. Um, so we worked him there at the house. Candy worked him, and I watched him, and and then I wasn't even going to work him. And she said, "Man, you ought to work this horse." So I were I liked what I saw, but I worked him, and I really liked the way he felt. So there was a little show there in Stephenville that weekend there at the college, and um, so we permitted him and went and tried him, and it went okay. Um, he was still green; he hadn't been showing very much. So we ended up buying him and started showing him, and we were both showing him at first, and the. I guess that first year we just kind of showed him. She'd show him in the novice non-pro. I'd show him in the novice, and it's kind of back and forth. wasn't super consistent, but was getting better and better every show we went to. So the next year we were going to haul, and Candy was going to haul in the novice non-pro, and I was going to haul him in the novice. So we started out that way, and I guess probably about April or so, maybe she. She had messed up a few times showing him, so I'd actually show him again in the other novice. So he'd get shown three times. He was a tough horse and um, started doing good in that novice. So then she just decided to quit. We got to maybe a show, and we'd have been to Batesville, and she showed there, and then we got to decab afterwards, and she decided she wasn't going to show, so I just showed him in both. And I think I won the novice in both novices every day there. It was like five or six-day show. So then she just didn't show anymore. So we ended up just hauling him in both novices that year and ended up um, second for the year behind Matt Sargid, which tough competition there. Um, Too short that, to play, wasn't it? Yeah, but that horse, he just got better and better all year, and we were showing him in the aged events too. We didn't go to every aged event that year, but we went to a lot of them and then went to all the, all the I mean, we were going every weekend, every day of the week nearly. That's all we were doing. We had him and a couple other horses because we didn't have very many client horses at the time. So we just would take everything and go to the show, just me and her. And so that's what we did. And then the following year is six-year-old year, I guess. We, um, we started out hauling, but it was his last year of aged events, so we wanted to go to all the aged events. And so we'd go every weekend. We'd go to all the aged events. And at that time, honestly, I knew nothing about horse of the year. Absolutely nothing. And Matt and Kyle, at that time, open and non-pro points counted. 
So Matt and Kyle were hauling smooth as a cat, and I think it was maybe Phil. Somewhere, maybe Super Stakes, or maybe the Derby. Maybe the Derby Phil said, you know, you're winning Horse of the Year. And I'm like, I don't even know what Horse of the Year is. <laughs> Honestly, had no clue what it was. Um, so we concentrated more on the aged events that year and still ended up, I don't know, third or fourth in the world that year in the Open and went every weekend into every aged event. And then kids were still showing him. Jordan Milner showed him a lot. Um, then later on, Taylor showed him. Ryder showed him a few times. But Jordan probably showed him more than Brandon anybody. Brandon showed him a few yep. times. Well, that was kind of what I wanted to get into next. I feel like whenever I first got into cutting, <coughs> Taylor Carbo was kind of one of my first friends. Colburn, another one that I – Cody. Another, those are kind of my first cutting friends, so to speak, and Cat Starlight, uh, that horse that uh, you guys bought from John Wold and, and went on to do unbelievable things. I don't think anybody's won – back-to-back scholarship uh, cutting championships ever. I think Taylor Carbo on that horse, uh, same rider, same horse, I think he's the only one to ever do that. And I think that's pretty impressive. But what I think is also impressive is just like everyone that wanted to haul. It seemed like whether it was CBO when y'all would go to Florida and, and go on those runs, if you wanted to haul or if you wanted to be in contention to win a world title, you better get your ass down to Stephenville and hang out at Jeremy and Candace's because I don't know what it, what it is, but that dual Ray me horse, it seems like that, that horse held up to me better than really any other horse that has really done it and staying sound remaining pure uh, just with all the different riders and all the different runs and all the different show environments that you guys took him took him to i think it's pretty impressive that that he was able to hold up and and stay pure and stay sound through all that win three world open championships and eight hundred and twelve thousand dollars it's a pretty good pretty good career Decent. too was he was he was a pretty impressive horse you know he that horse he never missed a show from being sore the only time he ever missed any shows was the one year we were hauling and we got in the wreck going to silverado and he missed a few months i think we missed maybe right at four months on him and we still came back and won the world on him so i mean he he was a very very sound horse is there a run that sticks out to you that you remember like damn reno was like bitching good this week like you know i i thought i had a lot of really good runs on him but probably one of my favorite runs was the last time i showed him at the world finals the first year it was here in oh nine yeah probably that last run was pretty pretty special because didn't that last run seal the deal and you won the open yes world title with that run i didn't have to win the round but i had to get a score This interview with Mr. Jeremy Barwick is brought to you by Brazos Valley Stallion Station. The roster of stallions at Brazos Valley Stallion Station located in Stephenville, Texas, is shaping the performance horse world with its unique stallions representing the cutting, cow horse, roping, and barrel racing industries. The skill and experience of the entire staff and one-of-a-kind facility provide a vital center to ensure your breeding success. For a complete listing of stallions and more information, visit www.brazosvalleystallionstation.com. So, being that you you were in the first uh, World Finals here in the Watt with that at that time being with the Mercurius, uh, how much better do you think having the World Finals here has pr- helped promote? Uh, Weekend an cutting. awesome show. Yeah, weekend cutting for open and non-pros. I think I was never involved in the World Finals when the Open and non-pro was in Houston. I, I watched it, but I never showed there, so I don't really know about that. I, I did show at Amarillo every year. Um, moving it to Fort Worth, I think, was probably the best move we ever made, in my opinion. 
Um, the first, that year, 09, that was the first year of the McCurious, and we just had four that year. But I think they sure added to it in the years we had it. I, I thought it damn sure helped. Um, I think the World Finals have gotten better and better every year. The attendance is always good. Amarillo, the attendance was okay, but not like it is here. The first year was really exciting because it was the first year of the top 50 and everybody going, but I remember it just kind of slowly. Yeah, that, uh, that first year, and, and Austin and I were so close that year. I mean, it could have, either one of us could have won. Um, luckily, it worked in my favor, but it was it was a pretty special finals. Yeah, that was one of those years the the – they had a Mercuria finals. I can't remember what finals it was, but you won a finals on H on Cat Starlight over here in the in the Coliseum during yeah. the summer show. That, that was Mercuria. that was the year um, when the BI. I when guess the that was the, the next year, yeah, after 09, So that was ten when we had the go round at the BI and then all the outbreak of everything, and they had to cancel it. So then they held the finals here, and th those finals were awesome. Yeah, I remember yeah. that was one of my favorite, like just finals in general to watch, yep. and it was. Just totally out of the blue, wasn't planned, and it was a. I just remember it being a super good finals. Mm. It was. It was an amazing cutting. Jeremy, go ahead. Jeremy, uh, just like we're talking about Dore Me being one of the best horses of all time, uh, you've been around quite a few other really good horses. One in specific, Donna's Cool Cat. Uh, talk a little bit about that horse, and then some other horses that you showed weekend level aged event that stick out in your mind oh don i like i love that mare always did i was around kobe a lot when he was training her and we were in vegas i guess at the fall show and that was the year of the horse of the year deal and it came down to the southern and so we were leaving vegas to go to the southern and Kobe didn't even good, do any good on Dawn out there, so he said, why don't you just take her and show her out there? So I took her with me and ended up winning the four-year-old on her out there for him. And but that, and then I showed her at some other shows for him because he was showing client horses, and they owned that mare at the time. So I got to show her quite a bit, and, and she's just a phenomenal mare. And has gone on and made a hell of a broodmare. Yeah. Big time. I'm just bummed I never got to show Dual Ray me and the youth. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Colburn got to show Ms. Peppy Cat. I feel like yeah, that's a pretty solid little consolation prize. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was a, I I was pretty good one. Pretty I good definitely one. got to show quite a few good horses as well, but yeah. never got to show Reno. I just wanted Candace to be cheering for me. <laughs> Speaking of good horses, though, we got uh, five sets here coming up. Uh, the open semifinals at the NCHA Futurity. I'm super excited. Uh, we talk about um, all the shows throughout the year, but I feel like this this cutting and these next two rounds in the open, uh, the semis and the finals, for me, the semis is the best cutting of the year at the Futurity. Um, there's some pretty solid Western Bloodstock graduates up. It's hard to, hard to not start out with 10-man. Everybody saw himself for a tremendous amount of money last year, and to, to come here, um, just with all that pressure and see that horse uh, do well, what are kind of your thoughts overall on the field of semifinalist horses, Jeremy? You know, I, I'd agree the semis usually is the best the best round to watch, but this fraternity, for whatever reason, every round has been amazing to watch. I mean, the, the horsepower has been unreal. Um, the first go, second go, I mean, I don't know that it's ever taken what it took to make the semis. That is amazing in itself but 10 man obviously he stands out because he sold for so much money last year and but zeb and and his mare too i mean 
I think just the limited finals the other night, he's second and third on those two horses. And, you know, for a guy that's probably not a top trainer in the industry, his top name is Showman anyway, because I think he does a phenomenal job training those horses and Showman, that was pretty impressive. Pretty impressive to come back and do that well, because that's a, it's a lot of pressure. I don't care who you are. Yeah. When you walk to the herd on a horse that costs a half a million dollars, that's a lot of pressure because everybody stops to watch. Yeah. And no matter what year it is, whenever there's a high seller at the two-year-old sale every year, everybody's always looking for that horse to come back during the fraternity and, and see what it does. And yes, they're they're always looking for them, and they're gonna they're gonna make a point to be there. If they're not at the cutting, they're gonna be on their phone watching it. So that's that's a lot of pressure. Well, and I, sitting in the stands when Ten Man showed in the limited semifinals, there was people in the stands videoing down at the horse. Yep. yep. Uh, and you could see it from different spots hoping to get that viral video man hoping well there's just viral video that that's a well-known horse right now yep exactly and it's always good too because we've seen in the past some high selling horses that necessarily didn't come back and do so well so when those horses do sell really well and that horse obviously as a two-year-old was as legit as they come yeah you know you want to see them come back and do good that's that's good for everyone the owners the trainers the sellers the buyers it's it's good for the entire industry Mm So you want to see those horses come back and do well. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I shared this story on the podcast before, but I turned back at all the Western Bloodstock sales, and, and I remember him walking in there, and I'd watched his video beforehand. And and just, I mean, we didn't even have to move the cow. I mean, he just controlled the cow, and it was and it was just amazing. And then watch to see what he went for was unreal to be right there front and center when a horse sold for a half a million dollars, the highest a two-year-old's ever brought in a public auction and and then to watch him do good it's it's damn sure exciting yeah that horse has just an amazing presence to him mm-hmm. how many sale graduates made it out of the two-year-old sale made it into the semifinals well between two-year-olds and yearlings that we sold there are 19 in the open semis and 11 in the non-pro semis and a lot of top sellers, A too. lot of top sellers. Obviously, Tin Man, Rosa Del Pepto. Sly Criminal was actually, that was Cat Urban that was in the sale. That's your horse, half that, of your horse. Yeah, that belongs to me and yep. Kevin. That horse is in there. High-rate high, high CD or high, uh, Johnny Mitchell's Johnny horse? Johnny Mitchell's mare. Slate, Slate River she brought 200,000. And the dual clay, is that right? Yeah. The dual clay, clay and J5s. Mm-hmm. Brought 140. I know we're forgetting some. Because there's quite a few of them. I think there's five out of the two-year-old sale yep. that were over 100. Yeah. So I think that would be it. Sly Criminal, Zeb's two, Johnny's, and um, Grant's. Grant's. Yep. So backtrack a little bit, and obviously you were a very successful open trainer, multiple world champion, um, and then you kind of switched gears, and uh, you already had the, the breeding station as Shadow Oak Ranch, but – you went ahead and bought the Western Bloodstock Sale Company. Explain to us um, kind of your idea of, of why you wanted to get into the sale sale aspect of cutting horses and, and less on the training end. So we, we had the training facility there, and then Carlos De Silva and I, Bengal, we're really good friends, and, and he was quarantining a lot of horses to go to Brazil, so we built a quarantine facility first, which was the old – the old breeding facility, which is now the new stallion board. Um, we built that for a quarantine facility. So there for four or five years, Bengal and I quarantined a lot of horses, sold a lot of horses to Brazil and sent them to Brazil. 
And then when that kind of slowed down, I had a barn there doing nothing. So I was said, well, start a little breeding facility. And I actually leased a, a stallion from Jack Wagner, one smart cat. That was the first stud we had. And I leased him and, and bred him, and we bred 40 mares a year to him or so. But it was just me and one other person, so we did it in the mornings, and it was pretty easy. And so then I hired Debbie Patterson to come to work for us. And that was about the time that um, Jack sold out and some Brazilians had bought Cat's Red Feather. So he was the first big stallion that we had. So because they left him here until they shipped into Brazil a year later. So we stood him and we just kind of kept growing a little bit, growing a little bit. Never really intended on it to get as big as it is now, but it was I, I like to be diversified. I don't like to do just one thing because if this is slow, maybe this will pick it up. And so during all that time, we would sell fit some colts too. And then later on, we ended up adding the rehab facility and did that. And then I guess I ended up, I was during, it was 13. And I was, dri I was actually driving to the Super Sticks one day and Joanne, which runs the insurance company for Ben, and I were really good friends. And I'd actually already talked to Cindy Bolin about triangle sales. Because I, I did a lot of that. Like, I love horse sales. I've always loved horse sales. And when I'd come to the 30, I'd sit through every single horse. But so I thought, you know, I can't be a trainer my entire life. There's really not any money in it. And you don't want to be, or I didn't want to be 75 years old training horses. That just wasn't my personal agenda. So I thought, you know, I'm going to check into buying a sale company. So I talked to Cindy about it, and, and we almost kind of had a deal, really. And then I was driving to the Super Sticks one day, and I thought, man, they'll probably never sell Western Bloodstock, but I'm going to ask. All they can do is say no. So I called Joanne. I said, man, do you think Ben would ever, ever sell Western Bloodstock? And she said, I don't know. I'll ask. And so a couple days later, I went by the booth, and Ben stopped me, and we were talking, and he said, yeah, we, I talked to Milton, and I think we probably would price it. And I said, well, y'all talk about it and get me a price. i got to go to Canada right after this and do a clinic, and when I get back, we'll get together. So I <coughs> go to Canada, do the clinic, and I get back, and I call Ben. I said, well, what would y'all come up with a price, and then give me the price. And I said, well, y'all want to get the lawyers to write up the, the contract, and I'll just buy it which I think kind of shocked everybody. <laughs> um, so that's that's exactly how we did it. I mean, it was just that fast. And and I just, I, I don't regret it for a minute. I, I love that part of the industry. I love the breeding part of the industry. The people you get to meet, people you get to work with, I, I just really enjoy it. And then after you bought it, you kind of uh, added some things like the, the gala sale and, and tried to revamp it and get a different feel in there. Explain to us what went into coming up with the gala sale and having those 50 yearlings and a black tie event and, and the whole nine yards. Well, I, th I thought, you know, obviously buying it and a new owner, you kind of you needed to do something to get the confidence of the sellers and the buyers that they felt like you could actually do your job. Um, so I, I thought about that. Originally, I thought about maybe trying to do a deal where you got 10 stallion owners and they help pick colts by their stallions. And, but I didn't think that would work too well. So I thought, which made it really hard 
because I was it was gonna be on me what colts were in there. And so I I just started driving around and, and picking out colts and and I think the way that event went, you know, we did it for five years and everything has its time that you've got to stop and do something different. But I think that built a lot of trust and confidence in a lot of people. So it, it's helped our industry going forward. I think it, I think overall it helped our horse prices. And it brought another fun event to the fraternity for people to do because we had nothing that people could really get dressed up and go sit down and have dinner and socialize with their friends during a horse sale. Because usually you're just packed in the sale ring and, and so there's really no conversation, you know. So um, that was kind of my thought behind it. Do something fun. But it was really nice and a good set of horses and I, I thought overall I think it went really well. Yeah, I agree. It was definitely a uh an event to be attended and uh it was pretty awesome to go in there and see those beautiful yearlings and and all the money getting thrown around. That's always fun too. Yeah, this year be sure not to miss out on the evening session, Tuesday, December tenth. Yeah, I, th um, I think that's gonna be another good sale and we actually added in a few higher end broodmares to it. Um, I think that's going to be a good deal. We're going to have it over in the John Justin, but I, th I think it's a really good set of colts. And adding those few bird mares in there and one stallion, I, th I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So a lot of people think that you quit training horses and now you own a sale company and it's a lot easier now. But explain how much work goes into running the sale company and and talking to people and and getting horses in the sale and and dealing with folks in and out of the sale ring i feel like people don't really understand that you could be fielding calls from people all over parker county hey come over and take a look at these horses i need to sell them or whatever so kind of give us an idea on what goes into all that yeah it's definitely not easier than being a horse trainer <laughs> you're on the phone about 18 hours a day most and horse trainers are too though <laughs> <laughs> no y'all don't answer your phone <laughs> I'm a non-pro. <laughs> they they don't answer their phone. Uh, no, it. I mean, you're you're constantly on the phone with people, constantly pulling research for them, constantly going and looking at horses, and especially during the gala. I mean, I'll put a hundred thousand miles a year on a truck. I trade trucks every year because I'll hit a hundred thousand every year. That's a lot of driving. It sounds like you need a plane. <laughs> Can't afford one of those. <laughs> But, yeah, I think the Western Bloodstock sale between um, the two-year-old sales getting started on Monday, December 9th, to this Tuesday, December 10th, all the way through those preferred breeder sales and the yearling sales and then the select cow dog sale. I think that's another uh, big-time fun event that I always enjoy going to watch. What, what kind of were your thoughts on putting a, a cow dog sale um, in conjunction with the Western Bloodstock stuff? You know, I, th I think it just it fits with, with our industry. I mean, a lot of us have dogs and, and use them on the ranches or turn them back at your place. Um, so I thought, it, I thought it just fit, and Hayden Upton actually brought that idea to me the first year, and and it's it's worked really well. I mean, we've sold some really high-dollar dogs, and it's a fun event. It's it's actually fun just to see who comes and buys them. You know, sometimes it's it's your ranchers that we don't even know that come in just to buy them, and then sometimes it's the trainers here have come and bought dogs. Skip which, Queen, I think, bought one a few yeah, years which ago. which is, is impressive. So yep. I, I think it's a, a fun event to do. Well, Jeremy, thanks so much for taking the time, and thank you so much for your continued support of the Section K podcast. Um, like I said, be sure to not miss out on any of the Western Bloodstock sales. Those are going to get started Monday, December 9th, 9 a.m., and there's going to be a sale 
every day all the way through Saturday, uh, wrapping up with that season uh, cutting horse sale and with the cow dog sale. Uh, best of luck to Sly Criminal and Tatum. Um, owners uh, yourself and Kevin Knight in the semis and hopefully in those finals as well and once again Jeremy thanks again man we appreciate it yes sir thank y'all thank, thank you, you Jeremy we can't thank Jeremy Barwick enough for coming on the Section K podcast and of course his continued support of the Section K podcast be sure to come out to all the Western Bloodstock sales that are taking place at the Will Rogers Memorial Center all week long going to be a great week of sales um, congrats to all the world finalists all the world champions that were crowned over in the water arena and best of luck to everyone that made the semis and go get them in those finals if you made those so big thanks for tuning in this week and uh, we'll see you guys down the road past for no no return baby on the summer night Shot of love and a spark of love to be Starts to lighten and the month I'm not burn like the ground I leave I will leave it on the next train, baby, I do believe Come on, let's ride this train Five, I don't hear it in my song I'm gonna pull my weight, don't get me wrong Brand new start and a whole new part They are big old shoes to fill I'll be there on that platform, babe No, I will Come on Let's ride this Try this train